Welcome to um, Searching for the Question Live. I'm David Orban, and this is the 10th day that I'm streaming live uh, from my home in Italy uh, to all of you. And it has been a wonderful learning experience. I was able to really uh, get acquainted with so many tools with so many different ways of uh, using the uh, live streaming platforms and share this knowledge with you as well. Uh, and I greatly enjoy your, um, uh, your feedback, uh, the questions that I receive both uh, during the live streams as well as after when uh, I go and, and look at uh, how to improve what I do for the next day. And as a matter of fact, I am learning as much or more uh, than I am able to, to share. Uh, it is almost as if uh, I were uh, a conduit, uh, input and output, or even hopefully amplifying the, the signal. A couple of days ago, I was uh, on an interview with uh, Rehan Alahwala, and I restreamed that interview as well. And rather than using the uh, setup that I uh, configured, uh, which is a combination of uh, Zoom for uh, the people who meet and uh, Restream.io for sending the signal to various platforms, Rehan was using StreamYard. So there you go. I said, let's try it out. And that is what I am using right now. I'm using uh, StreamYard to uh, talk to you and to... Um, share the screen and to invite uh, my guest. The guest today uh, is Simon Hooper, uh, the founder of uh, Remelife. And uh, here he is. Let me welcome him on our show. Simon, welcome to Searching for the Question Live. Thank you. A very good day to you, David. So uh, obviously, uh, rather than talking about the platforms and talking about uh, uh, the the use of these tools, because we have dedicated sessions uh, on the show for that, what we want is to learn about you, your passions, your interests, Simon. Um, as a matter of fact, the first, I think, uh, most important question is, where are you and how is life today where you are? Where am I? Um, well, I'm um, in a place called Teddington, which is, um, I guess, notorious for being um, or backing on to the Henry VIII estate. So I literally back on to this glorious deer-filled park that is the hunting estate of Henry VIII. So if food gets any um, scarcer, and believe me, believe you me, our stores in uh, London are very lacking in food. I should just climb over the fence and go and do what Henry did, which was hunt a deer and haul it home and we'll be barbecuing deer. So I guess we're fortunate and then we have a well-stocked back larder. And and uh, it wouldn't be a capital offense as it used to be those days uh, uh, when only royalty or the sovereign were uh, allowed to hunt, right? Well, it probably would, but they're not allowed to go out, are they? So, um, I mean, there's, there's, the streets are empty. So I think I'd probably get away with it. 
Um, and uh, uh, so, so in in the UK, uh, the policy uh, initially from the government, the approach for addressing the the pandemic was well it will just burn through society and uh, then we will go about our lives and not uh, care about it anymore. And that kind of uh, uh, approach and official policy lasted for 24 hours. And there was a 180 degree turn. Um, at least that is how it looked like from the outside. Uh, was that also your perception? How would you... Uh, frame it uh, in a in a more subtle uh, and and probably more appropriate manner. Uh, well, I got to be careful and and treading on um, eggshells here. But um, let's face it, our Boris has modelled himself in Churchillian style, and we all know that um, Churchill was bombastic when it came to the enemy and and stoic and stiff upper lip and so forth. Um, and I think Boris took that view initially, um, but he was lambasted by professionals and scientists alike that um, it wasn't a sound strategy. And he finally then took advice and, of course, then has now finally incarcerated himself along with the, um, you know, the health minister and so forth. So I think we're, we're all in the same boat, just at different stages of the game. And, and the policies are sort of emerging. And of course, the big thing is that it's been remarkable watching China's approach to this and having the West have to recognize that their approach has been um, you know, pretty. Um, it seems magnificent in in what they've what they've done and achieved. So um, we're doing the right things now. The streets are empty, and um, you know, hopefully, the, the results will will show the appropriate policy. And uh, tell me a little bit about yourself, uh, your your life journey, uh, how you got here, uh, and where you are now. What are the things that uh, drive you more most passionately now? I think I'm probably a classic entrepreneur, um, except that I'm not 25 years old. Um, but I am the right age group to be doing what I'm doing. Um, I understand the needs of those of my age and above. My older brothers are at an age where they are in that vulnerable set. Um, um, but as I say, a classic entrepreneur, I've come through a tech background as a geologist. I spent 10 years um, roaming the world being employed by anyone who would take me, oil companies, to, to drill oil wells in the Arctic and the Sahara and jungles. So I've had an interesting experience of frontline existence, if you like. Uh, and that's relevant because it, it sets you up to be able to, um, to deal with adversity, to be able to respond efficiently to the unexpected. You know, rigs do blow up if you get it wrong. Helicopters do crash. So um, it gave me a background in doing what had to be done efficiently under high-pressure situations. But then, of course, I've also been through three recessions, um, 1989 and onwards. So I've experienced those crashes, which also makes you resilient. You learn to face the reality of what's happening, crash and burn a couple of times, and then pick yourself up, dust yourself down, and then phoenix yourself. And that's an important skill set to acquire that I think a lot of today's young entrepreneurs um, have difficulty dealing with. You become a jack of all trades. And that's a vital requirement for a startup. And, and today, for example, in our current situation, our team, which is a small team, is a jack of all trades. We're having to do everything ourselves. And that's it's critical that you can do that. Um, so my entrepreneurial path has taken me through um, a multiplicity of worlds from 
geology, the oil industry, to owning an exhibition company, to owning a music venue. I've always done, I've always, I guess, cheekily done what I wanted to do. I've been very fortunate. I've, I've found missions in life and pursued them because I wanted to do them. Um, and obviously hoping that the outcome would be successful. But I guess the journey has always been more important to me than the outcome. Now, well, of course, the outcome is critical. One wants to be successful. But now this has all been concertinaed into a very short time frame. We now need to be successful and have what we've built get out into the market under adverse circumstances in a, in a, a much shorter time frame than we had intended. We were due to launch a month or so ago, um, but... I mean, to be honest, it, it fell to pieces from a funding point of view, from the availability of coders, but we've got ourselves back up and running, and now we've got to get what we've got. A part of it's in the market already, but the rest of it in the market as quick as possible. So I guess that that past skill set that, that I've acquired through um, experience is the name is of the name thing. of your uh, latest uh, adventure, your latest startup is uh, Remilife. Uh, uh, yeah. Tell us what is uh, Remilife? Uh, what uh, are you trying to accomplish? How did you come to the realization that this was uh, an important uh, challenge that you wanted and you were well equipped to solve? Well, I think like um, so many of us, part of our journey is caring, caring for others. And in my case, it was my mother. And my mother um, experienced a journey, a healthcare journey that was... Um, uh, somewhat sad in that, well, I'll tell the story. She, she banged her head with a kitchen cabinet and for nine months had a runny nose, which was diagnosed as a runny nose. But in fact, she was leaking cranial fluid. She took nine months to diagnose and was only diagnosed when she collapsed and they found she had meningitis as a result of that um, fracture in her nose. And they saved her life, but they did so by diagnosing where the meningitis was and using a a uh, substance called myelin to track the meningitis, um, which is great. They found it. They saved her life. But that myelin had been banned in seven countries and induced paralysis. So over the next two years, she became paralyzed from the waist down, unnecessarily so. So not a particularly um, not a good experience when it came to um, the healthcare world. And then, of course, when I became angry and started exploring, having discovered this substance, I found that her records went missing. And from then on, it was a case of carers engaging with the, the healthcare world for 15 years as she became worse and worse. But the thing that struck me was, you know, the doctors do their best, the system was doing its best. I, I wasn't too anguished, even though mistakes had been made, because you know, I think we all know mistakes are made. And in England, we're not a litigious society. But what I didn't like was the fact that everyone was espousing person-centered care and yet they weren't delivering it. No one was really paying any attention to who my mother was. She was just a name and a number and a person to visit. And that stressed her because she was a lively person who wanted to be engaged. And she wasn't getting engaged. And unnecessarily so, those minutes that carers and nurses and GPs spent with her, they could have talked to her about her if they'd had the information at their fingertips. And that would have been better for her and better for them. And then, of course, the experience that I had um, was that the moment we put her life onto a tablet and persuaded carers and those who were in her attendance to know a little bit about her, everything changed dramatically. She was off her medication. The carers became fascinated in her quite remarkable wartime experiences. And within no time, she was being wheeled around to the carers' homes to, um, to share in dinner and, and a couple of gin and tonics. I mean, basically, she was off her meds and on the gin, which, in my view, is a win-win. So... 
she um, she was became living proof of the fact that if you know a person, uh, remarkable things happening happen for the person, for the carers. And that was the start of the journey. Um, I decided when I met my business partner, Etienne Abrahams, that we were going to use our technological backgrounds, tech skills, to build something that would make it possible for carers, for all those entities, care organizations, nurses, to better know the person and to be able to deliver better care. And it's been a bit of a journey since then, but uh, that's where we are today. And so tell me tell me more about uh, the engagement, uh, because, yes, uh, I, I agree. We are human beings. We are social animals. We need to communicate. We need to uh, interact. And uh, it has been assumed for ever that, uh, yes, if you were useful in uh, raising the grandchildren or looking after them while uh, uh, the couple was doing whatever they needed to do, uh, you, you had a role uh, in in uh, in the human society and and as a matter of fact we have uh, uh, at least uh, historical sociological anthropological if not even biological uh, uh, proof of of uh, this uh, fundamental structure but uh, as uh, uh, it is the case today that our lifespans are so long that even the grandchildren start to grow up and grandparents uh, are uh, less able to demonstrate their usefulness, we have uh, decades to go and the traditional biological, anthropological, sociological uh, uh, and, and social uh, support systems are not taking that into account anymore. So, so um, tell me more about the kind of interactions and the kind of engagement illustrated with, with a few examples um, of, of other of your plan that, that can really deliver uh, incredible value for the individual and for, for the community. Well, we, we looked at the basic drivers of human engagement, and there are many, but the bottom line is, um, we all want fun, um, of course, survival and security and the rest first. But at that point, we want fun. Um, and that can come from a multiplicity of sources, but human engagement is definitely one of them. So if one can provide a mechanism and a means that optimizes the the, meet, the opportunity for, for two people to find pleasure in their interaction, well, then you've got something valuable. And let's face it, that's what Facebook and social media have done so effectively. The, the dopamine principle has made a lot of money for, for social um, systems and platforms and so forth. So we decided that that proposition should be applied to healthcare. If you want to enhance person-centered care, and if you can prove that enhanced person-centered care has a return on investment for care businesses, even for families, which we can do, then it's worth finding how best to improve that engagement to optimize those returns. Nothing happens in healthcare unless there's savings and efficiency to be achieved. So um, those savings and efficiency we found could be achieved by, uh, by generating um, better human engagement. So, so let me explain, as you asked, some use cases. And I'll, and I'll start with my, my son and my, my, my wonderful mother-in-law. My mother-in-law is Russian. She's a classic Russian babushka. She's, um, she's tough as nails. 
um, she doesn't take prisoners. And um, I'm always seeking to deploy my son to engage with her, whether it's remotely or in the room. It makes sense. Um, but I'm also very keen on, on, on supporting her care needs. She's you know, of an age, 80 plus, where she has medication to consider, difficulty walking. So my son is, is just like um, uh, he was with my mother, was, is wary of her. But the moment our system, and this is what it does, found commonality of interest through engaging in activities, the moment they both found that they loved cats, um, they liked quizzes and games and, and a whole range of interests, suddenly they found they had um, means of engaging. There weren't just those blank moments. And my son started supplying cat videos and all sorts of things. Now, he first of all did it because I paid him pocket money, extra pocket money to engage with her, inevitably. I rewarded him, reward being a principle of human engagement. Um, but after a while, he began to get his reward from the pleasure that he got from engaging with her. Dopamine, dopamine was passing hands. And she began to enjoy that engagement. And he began to enjoy, subconsciously probably at first, um, but he still wanted his pocket money. But now I reward him with tokens, tokens such as you would get if you go into a petrol station and show loyalty and um, buy their petrol as opposed to another. At the moment, they're bits of paper piling up on his desk. But we're, well, if it hadn't been for our current situation, we'd have launched in about four months the, um, the tokenized incentive-based healthcare ecosystem such that he would have, and he will be able to convert those bits of paper, those paper tokens, to actual um, Remy Life Remsey tokens. But the point is, um, reward and pleasure are driving forces, and she's well supported. If we tell her to take her medication, she pays little attention. But if my son tells her, she pays a lot more attention. Her medication adherence goes up through the roof, and that's a well-known statistic. Um, so um, there's there's a there's a classic use case of how. Um, engaging with digital activities, and our system provides a broad range of digital activities from entertainment, content um, sharing, through to uh, cognitive therapy, music therapy, and so forth. Sharing and engaging in activities um, generates knowledge of the person. That knowledge we call electronic life records, ELR. It's a very rich data set about a person, likes, dislikes, moods, habits, memories, well-being. And that data bespokes the activities to better engage so that both parties have an increasingly um, enjoyable experience and they get rewarded. They, they are rewarded, as I've mentioned, for that engagement. But of course, what we're doing is delivering health by stealth. There's one of our mantras, health by stealth, because it's very difficult to persuade people to, to, to be healthy, whether it's a, you know, a GP saying, you better take this medication because of your uh, heart condition. But um, the granddaughter saying, granddad, take your medication, he'll take it. And that's through the, um, you know, the desire we all have for human engagement and bonding. So that's the, the core element to what we do. We deliver fun, but the result is we're able to achieve self-care management, remote engagement, remote care monitoring, and a whole plethora of other healthcare benefits. And uh, I love uh, these uh, slogans that uh, that you are uh, mentioning. Health uh, by stealth uh, uh, is very very smart. Um, mm -hmm. And um, of course, the electronic live uh, uh, life uh, record uh, that you mentioned before is is also a very very interesting uh, concept. Uh, of course, uh, also complicated and complex uh, uh, due to the uh, privacy regulations which are desirable uh, but of course need 
careful balancing of uh, what can be done in a platform, what should be done, and how the various interests are um, correctly taken into account. Uh, your platform, however, is at least not advertising-based. Uh, is that correct? What is your business model? Uh, absolutely. I mean, we've um, pivoted furiously over the over the years as we've encountered hurdles, uh, and there have been many uh, from the fact that when GDPR came into being, we no longer could sell our system to the care facilities along that care journey. Uh, we had to pivot so that the consumer, the what we call Remy Life member, owned the system, owned their data. Um, and um, so that, that cloud in terms of business model became one with a very golden lining because our system provides GDPR compliance to care businesses when it comes to using personal data because the individual opts in to their data being used by the care providers they encounter along that care journey from diagnosis to end of life. So our model has changed, but now it's um, clearly representative of what is taking place in the healthcare market. And um, I guess one can take a journey. If you have a care need, you're going to Google or search like everyone does, and you will find remylife.com. And you'll see that remylife.com is a classic blog-like um, marketplace and platform. Marketplace in that you can purchase affiliate products at discount prices if you're a member. You can gain support uh, to address your care needs. And indeed, as the platform learns about you through the use of the companion app, through the use of activities, as I've just described, it will um, morph to know you and provide you with recommended support and care needs. Indeed, it will collect, connect you ultimately once we um, move to our next stage of funding, which has been stalled slightly at the moment. But once we move to our next stage of funding, then the platform will morph specifically to suit your requirements, as I'd say. So the model is you become a Remy Life member. And then by doing so, you then are able to not only use the services of the platform and marketplace that you're looking at, but you'll also be able to download the free app. This is the app that used to be called Remind Me Care. In fact, if you go to the app stores, Android and Apple, you'll find it under Remind Me Care. But everybody calls it Remy. Um, it just gets called Remy. Let's do a Remy. Let's run a Remy. So we've, you know, we've gone with market demand, and so it's called a, a Remy. But you'll find it under the brand name Remind Me Care in the app stores. And it's free to download. It's a freemium model. You can use the app, and that app will uh, provide you with remote family connectivity, care circle engagement, multiplicity of um, activities that range from, you know, photo sharing. So you can, you know, film Johnny scoring the, his goal on the weekend and send it to grandma wherever she is and share photos, but also the activities that I was describing with my son. So it's, it's activity-based software. That's the term we use, which is a new term. It's activity-based software that captures a ELR data set in background and which bespokes the activities the to the interest of the person. But the key is that that data then is used by the platform for the platform to be able to better know you and therefore deliver services and knowledge and affiliate relationships that fit your specific needs. And as I say, once we complete the, the build of the token architecture, then everyone will be rewarded. My son will be rewarded for engaging. Purchases of activities and um, affiliate products will be rewarded. The token ecosystem will provide incentives and rewards for providing better care.
And uh, you shared with me this uh, bit.ly link uh, rather than a longer and harder to remember URL. Uh, so bit.ly slash Remy free is where people can get uh, uh, the uh, the app. Uh, but uh, what well, about- I have to interrupt you. It's not actually because they can get the app free from remylife.com now. Just go and get it from there. It'll take you to the app stores and you download it and use it. That link is because in the last, well, we've been selling the the app to care businesses, care homes, hospitals, daycare centers, memory clinics for about a year now. And it's been going well, not at scale, but it's going well and growing. Um, but what has happened is in the last month, uh, because we're well known around the world, we've been inundated with demand from care homes and hospitals. 65 care homes this morning in, the, in, in two hours in Australia requested to download our system. So we've decided to give it away free. There is no time to trial, negotiate, enter into discussions. So we spent the last week making it possible for everyone, to, every care business to download the system free. From could, that. Could, you make it, could you make it explicit why now? Why uh, is it that, uh, uh, that they want it uh, so badly I- I- exactly now? Well, one of the largest care home groups in London, which in England, um, we know a lot about because we've been working with them to develop the the Remy tool to better fit their needs. And indeed, in their case, to prove that delivering better person-centered care and engaging with families and using technology to create activities saves money. So we can prove to a care home that if you use our system, it'll cost you £2,000 a year but you'll save 15, 20, 30,000 pounds. So it has a return on investment. So it means that a care home can use the tool, get better person-centered care delivery and make money. Now that all sounds great. And as they say in America, a no brainer, but the reality is it still takes time. You've got to train staff. You've got to um, work out an adoption process. You may not have an adequately effective broadband. There's, you know, Like any business, things seem simple, but there's a myriad of reasons why it takes time to adopt. But of course, now in our current climate, um, there isn't the time to adopt. They just need to have what Remy provides because they're they're locked down. So in this particular group, they traditionally have three, four floors in their care homes. Each of those floors is a locked unit. Each of the carers that visit those floors only go up the fire escapes to those floors. The families cannot visit. The families are um, well, basically needing reassurance of the quality of care taking place. The staff are under pressure. So our system provides activities. So the carers don't have to create activities. They're ready to go. Enables them to spend more time with those residents who normally would be getting family visits. Enables the family to remotely connect with their loved one in the care home. Enables the kids to create activities like my son. They can create and build digital activities of their life. We've got schools in England now remote with remote children creating digital activities that they then collate and we put together and they go out to their local care homes so that has a multiplicity of benefits the kids are engaged schools are engaged the family's engaged Uh, so uh, we have a question from uh, emiliano uh, on uh, um, the the twitter video platform uh, that uh, uh, the name escapes me right now. Uh, and uh, Emiliano is asking, does the app for iOS read out data from Apple's health um, repository, health data uh, repository? 
Well, no. The bottom line to what we do is that we're doing something that's not been done before. We are not health data. We're not clinical data. We're not um, uh, even Fitbit type data. We're a, a different data set that, as I said at the beginning, we feel that no one's ever really deployed apart from in the world of Facebook. They, this is data about the person, what you like. You're drinking tea, David. We would know that you like one sugar and like it strong. Um, that sounds uh, like simplistic knowledge, but it's not to a nurse in a hospital or to a carer in a care home or to those persons who get delivered coffee with two sugars when they want tea with, with no sugar. So we have that sort of knowledge. But we also know that you enjoy your favorite food, which is curry, um, and we know where you were born. The system knows a lot about you, and that changes the nature of engagement between a carer and a person. And that data is not the sort of data that um, Apple Health and clinical software systems capture. They've never seen that as significant. Whilst at the same time, their sales mantra often when it comes to care homes is person-centered care. Hospitals espouse and seek their quality ratings based on person-centered care. But, but how can you deliver person-centered care if you don't even know what coffee type a person likes. So no, to answer your question, the data is a separate data set that integrates. Um, and uh, one thing that that uh, is is probably true, and, and tell me if that is the case, uh, we are not only talking about uh, enhancing the relationship uh, between a person and a carer, uh, but across separate uh, and several carers as unavoidably there is a certain degree, maybe even a very high degree of churn of, of uh, one person replacing the other, uh, a nurse or, or in, a, in another uh, role, and there not being the time for a deep um, uh, passing of information only through a platform like yours. It is possible for somebody to very rapidly uh, become acquainted, as you said, with the personal preferences, but also with the life histories of the people who are uh, so uh, intimately connected uh, with, uh, with, with, with their lives and with what is happening around them uh, day after day. So yep. uh, that is also a, a great value, isn't it? It's critical. In my days on, on, on oil rigs in the North Sea and elsewhere, we didn't have handover periods. Very little time was enabled between the handover 12-hour shifts. We had to recognize the data that was there and know what was going on. And so it's the same in, in care. They don't have time for detailed handovers. And indeed, they don't have time for data recording. They do for clinical data. They spend a lot of time recording clinical data. But we realized we had to make the activities such that they were having fun with those they were engaging for. But the data that was being collected in background was enough to be able to, to build a profile of the person and to then be able to um, in background, inform the system as to what activities should be engaged in, you know, right down to the point that the system can uh, discover um, what has engaged a person during their time looking at a photo album and then use that knowledge to, as you say, inform another carer who knows nothing about the person how to continue that engagement, continue that conversation. So, yes, that is a critical thing that, that we've achieved, the portability of data. It is uh, wonderful to be in a time and in a society that recognizes the value of every person, regardless of their abilities 
And as a consequence, we have uh, reserved spaces for those who need to drive a car that needs space for them to get out of the car. Uh, and uh, uh, we, we, we built uh, restrooms that uh, cater for, for their needs. And, and there are uh, others who are uh, uh, atypical uh, in, uh, with respect of uh, their uh, cognitive processes. Uh, whose uh, needs and, and abilities require a type of interaction that is uh, not what uh, you would expect if you are only looking at and are only able to recognize the, the needs of a narrow uh, median of the distribution of abilities in, in, in society. And the same is true with regards of uh, the ages. Uh, unavoidably and necessarily, uh, we have always cared for uh, the newborn, otherwise there wouldn't be a human race. Uh, but now we recognize that we can and we should care for um, uh, those whose uh, abilities are declining uh, until we are able to solve uh, aging as well. And uh, I hope to have on the show uh, one of my friends uh, uh, in, in the longevity uh, research and longevity application uh, fields uh, who are for progressively checking off uh, the, the the reasons why we get old. Um, I'm only... that's Aubrey. I hope that's Aubrey. Well, yes, absolutely. Uh, uh, Aubrey uh, is, is one of those friends. And of course, uh, many of us are, are very busy, so I cannot guarantee he will be here tomorrow. But I would be surprised if he is not uh, on the show um, uh, one of one of these days. And well, I think one of the points I'm going I'm to interrupt you quickly there because one of the points that's often missed is um, the commercial side of this. Because I think the figure, and, and don't quote me specifically, but 60% of the world's wealth is held and owned by the over 60s, um, and yet there are very few um, online worlds for them to participate in. And it seems to me that it's completely appropriate to give them. Um, what they want um, and, and supply them with their needs and have some of that capital, capital be liberated back into the system to everyone's benefit. So what is often unappreciated is that this is a commercial sector that um, if addressed in, in a way that is positive and not exploitative, can be really beneficial to everyone. And that's e equally true of data the data of these individuals that we address, that data is of massive value for research purposes and others. And it's our view that their data should be monetized to their benefit. And we are you know, building a mechanism now whereby ELR data is managed by the individual to their benefit. So they deploy how it's used, whether you know, to, um, to gain and garner those um, commercial um, things that they're looking for, whether it's holidays or um, other um, elements along the Amazon-type world, or for donation to research purposes. That data is powerful, and that needs to be you know, recognized more, I think. Uh, so do you foresee uh, your approach, uh, uh, whether uh, the uh, electronic uh, life uh, record is going to be the term that... Uh, uh, is becoming uh, popular, or whether it is going to be health uh, by stealth or uh, activity-based software. I mean, all these concepts are very intriguing and, and it will be your job to make them super popular. But uh, 
as they become one or the other uh, the driving uh, force and and a convenient label for people to recognize the adoption of uh, what uh, what you are doing uh, is the 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 usage going to broaden is it uh, going to become uh, uh, beyond the early adopters of uh, uh, the people in the care facilities do you foresee people of our age or or younger people to start using these kinds of platforms in order to build electronic life records right from the start and in a manner that is less exploitative than not what facebook uh, makes us uh, do daily I, I think we already are doing that without realizing so we built a platform that makes uh, it possible and indeed is, is fundamentally driven towards um, integration. So the data ELR that comes out of activity provision, activity engagement, already flows into care planning systems so that they can have the ability to evidence person-centered care delivery, um, provide regulatory authority uh, grades and so forth. Um, so that is an integration process. Remy's, we have another, here's another one for you. In the healthcare sector, it's not Intel inside, it's Remy inside. Remy data, Remy ELR data drives wearables, IoT, social care robots, care planning software, because it captures data through person-centered care activities that, that just doesn't exist. And it is, exists with Facebook, but you know, in our case, it's opt-in supplied and it's managed and owned and monetized by the individual. So, um, yes, we are already generating that data. It's just a matter of whether we can get access to it and whether we can use it for what we want to use it for. And the answer to that is at the moment, no, we can't unless we demand it. And that's pretty hard to do. So we're providing access to that. Um so the, the, the players uh, here in this ecosystem, of course, are the families, uh, the, the, the people in the care facilities, the care facilities themselves, but also a very important component of the ecosystem are the regulators. Uh, NHS, uh, in the case of uh, uh, the United Kingdom, um, each of the various uh, health uh, um, uh, uh, the, the the authorities that uh, regulate and and oversee uh, how healthcare is delivered in their respective uh, jurisdictions. So, what is your experience uh, in uh, working with these regulators? Do they understand? Are they fast enough? Are they open to experimentation? Uh, at least in your case, hopefully nobody's going to get hurt because uh, you need to uh, improve the, the platform, right? It's not like a new drug that requires extreme care before it is introduced broadly. I think we have the potential, if, if we don't get it right, to do significant damage. If, if our Remy Life members use our platform and we don't manage it appropriately, then that exploitation that happens to the elderly widely we, we all know that abuse, is, abuse of the elderly is very wide, widespread on the internet and not just the internet. You know, there's dangers there. And that's where blockchain with sovereign identity and data management and so forth can manage the process effectively and achieve uh, the connectivity that we want to achieve um, in a secure manner. Um, but but to, 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 to answer your question, do we see it going further afield? Well, um, yes, yes, we do. We we do see it going further afield. My my vision has always been to, my God, I suppose, serve my needs. You know, when I retire, I don't want to 
sit back on a sofa and, and watch TV. I, I want to be able to carry on working. So I'll be, I'll be looking for work from home. Um, uh, one of my one of the things we've recently added to RemyLife.com is the ability for people to connect across the globe to find work that matches their interests. You know, whether it's a, a Spanish 92-year-old lady um, teaching English to a Spanish kid in Latin America, whether it's um, support care management, um, a, 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 an elderly person in Australia managing the support needs of a startup in England. There's a myriad of opportunities that um, a platform can achieve if it knows about the person, if it understands the person, if it has data about the person. Um, I, I was also asking you about uh, the regulators. Um, yeah. It, unless sorry, you... I digress. No, I did digress there. Yeah, sorry. So the point I was making is that all of these elements, I forgot the denouement, the, all of these elements fall under the regulatory ceiling at the moment. So in America, it's HIPAA. In, in, the, in the UK, it's the CQC. Because our data is not clinical medical data, because it's Facebook-style data, it falls underneath their requirements for management. But at the same time, the data we provide that goes to our affiliate software, care planning systems, and so forth, our data helps them become more regulatorily efficient. So no, we are, of course, bound by um, what's called the ICO, um, information Commissioner's Office in the UK. So, you know, we do have to fit uh, and match GDPR requirements, but no, we don't um, fall into the net of, of clinical data. Uh, and and that is uh, great to, to facilitate the, the rapid uh, uh, spreading and uptake yeah. and diffusion of, uh, of your platform. So, uh, we are uh, getting uh, close to the end of our uh, live stream today. Um, what is the, the the message that you would like uh, our viewers to um, to leave with, and uh, what uh, action item you would like uh, that that they could they would uh, execute as they as they do so. Well, I guess there's a short-term, medium-term, and a long-term view on that. Short-term is that if you have needs courtesy of COVID-19, you should go and download the app from the app stores um, for use by those being cared for at home. Um, you'll see lots of changes over the next few weeks because we are gaining support from UK government and other entities to modify it to fit. So it's there to be used. If you're a care facility anywhere in the world, just log on to that link that um, we'll just log on to th that link there or even um, remylife.com and you'll find where to go and you can use the system for free and it will help remote families who are locked down engage it'll help carers be less stressed in their daily production of activities just it's free just use it um, and, and it's happening very fast and and the third is that um, you know we need support so we are looking to raise funding we will be running a crowdfunding round um, soon. So if you go onto our website, remylife.com, and then click on investors, you'll come through to our .io website, which will define our runway for the future in terms of how blockchain will support data management as described. But you'll also see another button that says investors. And if you are um, someone who uh, feels inclined to, to invest in a business that is social impact, um, going to scale and highly supportive of our current 
condition, then, you know, we'd love to talk to you because, um, you know, it needs, it needs money to do these things. Wonderful. And, uh, uh, I am sure that uh, uh, Rema Life is uh, going to have a, a bright future. Your ap approach uh, is uh, uh, very uh, generative. It's very, it's uh, very much recognizing the needs of of so many uh, stakeholders in our complex uh, world, in a society that is evolving, and especially uh, these days that uh, we have uh, the. Uh, need of connecting digitally uh, because we must not connect uh, physically at least for some period of time uh, solutions like yours uh, are uh, even more welcome and even more valuable so uh, simon thank you very much for uh, being on uh, searching for the question live and uh, uh, i am i am happy to have had you as as our guest it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, so I, I want to uh, thank uh, Simon and uh, I want uh, to thank uh, all of uh, you, our viewers, uh, on the various platforms, uh, Facebook, uh, YouTube, uh, Twitter, Twitch, uh, also for your questions and, uh, and for your comments uh, that uh, are always uh, very welcome. Uh, I also... Uh, invite you to spread the word uh, to people who you know, but also to keep interacting. Who would you like uh, to be a guest uh, on the show? What are the themes, the technologies, the trends, the paradigms that you would like uh, uh, to see me discussing or to commenting for you? And I, of course, am going to keep experimenting and making mistakes, but also learning and sharing the knowledge that, uh, that I acquire uh, together uh, with your help uh, as well. Uh, also, uh, if you feel so inclined, you can support the show on Patreon. Uh, go to patreon.com slash David Orban uh, to do that. Thank you very much again and uh, see you tomorrow for the next episode of Searching for the Question live. <music>